There, there comes a day in everybody's family. Some of us have already experienced that day. Others of us are preparing for that day. But there is a day that comes that is both a little bit bitter and a little bit sweet. And that's the day that one of your children, for the very first time, leaves the nest and goes off on their own. It's a reality. Sometimes we want that reality to come real quickly. Other times we dread it. But I will tell you this, I know for sure, that when that moment comes to your family, when you have to say goodbye to that child, and a lot of times it's the first child, but not always, but when you have to say goodbye to that child because they're either going off to college or they're going to a new location for a job and they're leaving the home, there is a little bit of angst within us because all of a sudden we're starting to think, have I prepared them for what lies ahead? Have I given them enough information to be able to handle life, to be able to know what to do, to be able to step into it and not get caught up in all the other stuff going on around them. And so what we do is we get a little bit nervous. We have a little bit of a panic attack. We, we're going like, did, did I cover this? Did I cover that? Did I, did I make sure I said all the right things? And so we start to play all those conversations in our head that we've had for the last 18 or 20 years. And we're going like, oh man, I better have another conversation with them about whatever it is. The truth is, by the time they get ready to leave, they've either gotten it or they haven't. But we try our best anyway. So what we want to do is we want to give them, them some words, something that's really important, that it's always pressing on our mind. We still want to be able to have them articulate back to us what it is that they should be doing when they're gathered together with other people. We want to make sure that they know the difference between a good person to hang around with and another person who's going to drag them down into the muck and mire of this world. We want to make sure that they understand what they're supposed to do when they step out of where they're at into, into the community. We want them to be the kind of people that, that are courteous and kind, especially to older people. We want that because that reflects on us. And so we want them to, to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. We want them to open doors. We want them to do loving uh, acts of kindness for other people. And so we're kind of going like, remember, remember your P's and Q's. Remember what you need to do. And they're going, mm-hmm, got it, yep, yep, I got it, I got it. Then we're, we're thinking about, as, as they're stepping out, that they're going to probably start looking for someone to spend the rest of their life with. And all of a sudden we're going like, oh, did I tell them what kind of guy or gal that they should be looking for? Do they know the difference between a godly person and a person who is just maybe religious? And so we, we get nervous about that. And then all of a sudden we're thinking about, are they really going to step into their faith, claim it as their own? Are they really going to start following Jesus? Are they going to find a good community of faith that they can attach themselves to so they continue to grow in this relationship with Jesus? And so we've got all these things that are going on together. And so what you do as, as they've packed up their car, it's ready to go, they're ready to move on, you want to take 15 or 20 minutes and you want to con and condense all the things that you've ever said to them. You want to try and and bring that together in a spiffy, piffy little way over 20, 15 to 20 minutes and help them to understand 
what is good because you know the bad company corrupts good character. And you're hoping that they have good character, that it's, it's their job. And so maybe the parting words that we would give to our child is this. What you do really matters. What you do in private will, ref- will determine what you do publicly. And what you do publicly is really important. So you want them to know. You want them to, to know that as you hug them, that you're going to pray for them, that you're going to love them. You want to impart to them more than just words. And probably if you're a little bit like me, you want to scare them. And so you say, Jesus is always watching you. (laughs) It's all about conduct and character. Because a lot of times what that does is it reflects on us. Our children are a reflection of us. We are a reflection of our parents. And so the way we behave, the things we do, the things that we say, they reflect on us. And we hope that when they leave and they do what they do, that it's a good reflection. And as we wrap up 1 Corinthians, that's Paul, what he's thinking about with the church. Because he he came and he planted this church. He spent uh, a number of years with them pouring into them, teaching them doctrine, helping them to understand theology, uh, laying the foundation for what a church, a body looks like and how they operate together. And then after he's gone, all of a sudden he receives bad reports about the conduct of the church. He's starting to get letters from the church asking him questions kind of about the basic life and liberty in Christ. And so he's he's, he's almost going like, I can't believe that they didn't get it. I thought that I left them with everything they needed to know in order to to really love Jesus. And, and, And so what he is giving to them is some final instructions on how they are to conduct themselves as a gathering of Christ's followers in a culture that wants to entice them away from their first love of Jesus. In his parting words to the church, he gives them what I would call the old dad talk about their conduct as Christ's followers. And he does it in a very concise way. And that's the couple of verses that we're going to camp on today, but we're going to reflect back on the rest of this letter that Paul wrote to the church. And so 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, is the dad speech. And here's what he says. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. I can hear those words echoing in my head as something my dad would have said to me. And I hope that's the message I would have given to my kids as they left the home. That's what I want them to do because that's what it means to really be a mature Christ follower. So Paul's telling this church to be watchful. But what are they really to be watchful about? Because it's kind of on a number of different levels. You have to be watchful about the things that you're allowing to come into your life that's going to shape the way you behave, the way you think, the things that you speak, the way you interact with other people. It's an internal thing. You have to be diligent and watchful about the things that come into the body of Christ because there's always somebody that that wants to come in with their agenda. They want to set their pace for the church 
And a lot of times what they have, when they come in, they have ulterior motives. And so they're trying to change something about the church. And a lot of times it's not necessarily good. Because it's not necessarily following what God's trying to talk to them about. And so there's different messages that would come that is contrary to what Paul taught about God's word about Jesus. This week I was watching um, kind of a panel of young professionals. And the thing that they were talking about was the legalization of marijuana. And the effect it's having on our society. And how people are just stepping into it and, and kind of, you know, dealing with it in various ways. And the, the discussion basically boiled down to this. They said, ever since the initiative that Nancy Reagan kicked off back in the day about just say no to drugs, up to this present time, hasn't done one lick of good because... You can't keep drugs out of the United States. You can't even keep drugs out of the federal penitentiary. And so since you can't keep them out, and this is what's happening, forget about trying to repress all that and stop it from happening. We just need to accept it and step into it, embrace it, and hope for the best. That was, that was their solution to the whole thing. Just hope for the best. And they talked about how marijuana can be a gateway drug into other, other drugs that are absolutely damaging to them. And they're going like, it doesn't matter. They're going to do it anyway. So we just need to accept what society is laying out in front of us, step into it, accept it, and hope for the best. And you know what the problem with that is? That's exactly the same approach they take to spiritual things with God. They don't take a look at the, the spiritual reality that God has laid out for them in His Word. And they don't go like, no, this is wrong and this is wrong. All these things are, are flying in the face of God. They're contrary to what Scripture has to say. But because society is now saying that what God says is wrong, they're, they're going, this is, this, what God is saying isn't right. God isn't being inclusive. God God just just is is kind of mean and and he's hindering us from really doing what we want to do. And so what we need to do is disregard what God has to say because it doesn't fit our lifestyle and we just need to embrace these different spiritual thoughts that are, are coming to us through our society. And And everybody's going like, you can't fight it. So you might as well embrace it and might as well just Hope for the best. I just... It's the issue that we all face as Christ followers. The, the real issue... Isn't whether we're going to be inclusive. The real issue is... Are we willing... To live and obey what Jesus taught us to do. That's the bottom line. It's, it is what Jesus says more important than what society is proclaiming. That's, that's kind of the question we all have to deal with today. When we take a look at, at the condition of our country, as Christ followers, we have to make a choice. Are we willing 
to follow God or are we just going to give in and embrace what the world says is difficult to deal with and so you can't really deal with it. So let's just embrace it and hope for the best. What good is it if we can't actually do something about it? It's too much of a struggle. So the question we have to deal with is how do Christ followers live in a society that has changed so dramatically over the last 50 or 60 years? It's interesting when you read through the Gospels, you read the letters from the apostles. The call of Jesus and the apostles to the church is to have your conduct consecrated to Christ. Really what consecrated means, I mean, if you've been here at least a couple of times over the last 42 talks about 1 Corinthians, it simply means to be holy, sanctified, set apart, fully devoted to Christ. That's what our conduct is supposed to look like according to Paul. And Paul's telling the church to be watchful for the areas in life that says you can't fight it, so just give in to what culture says. That's what was happening in the Corinthian church. And isn't it kind of funny that 2,000 years later, we're still dealing with the same old stuff. It's the same old thing about the human heart. We have to be watchful. We have to be watchful about false doctrine. We have to be watchful about letting our minds give in to little areas of compromise against God's word. Because as soon as we start to compromise in just one little itty bitty area, it's easy to compromise on something maybe a little bit bigger. And then we compromise on something yet a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden we have compromised on a lot of things that God says no to. We're going like, it's no big deal. I'm not hurting anybody. It's my life. I can live it the way I want to. And nobody can tell me anything different. Because after all, I have this freedom in Christ to do whatever I want to. But God never gave you freedom to compromise on his word. He just never gave it out. He's going like, you have freedom to be free from the clutches of sin in society. You have the freedom to live differently than you've ever lived before. You have the freedom to have a mindset that is focused solely on what it means to walk as a, as a, as a Christ follower. But compromise. In an area in our life that God is calling us to be living holy creates a, a, a whole a whole plethora of, of issues that we have to deal with. It, it, we don't get it because we think that that little, one little drop of compromise in our life has really no effect. But when we drop that petal of compromise into the pond, it has a ripple effect. And that compromise that we have in our life isn't just going to affect us, even though that's what we say. Our compromise, the ripple effect, will affect our children. It will affect our our relationships. It will affect our church. It will affect how we view God. So we need to be watchful. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. We need to be diligent about the things that God is doing because there are a lot of a lot of things out there, a lot of issues that are coming to the church that people are saying, nope, this is what God wants. This is what God wants. This is what God wants. 
But you can never find that is, is what God is saying in the Scripture. Matter of fact, a lot of times you'll find the opposite. And what they're saying, that was written for a different time, for a different people. That's really not what God wants. God's changed his mind on that. And the reason is that they don't get it is because of exactly what Paul said in, in the second chapter of this letter that he wrote about the kind of person that's trying to bring societal changes into his church, into his family, into his bride. Here's what it says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to, to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, here's the difference between people who are, who are stepping in and saying that this is what God really wants for society and it doesn't line up with the Bible. Matter of fact, it's opposite to the Bible. Is The reason that they say that is because they can't accept the spiritual truths that God has for them in the Word because their minds are not empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference that you have over them. When you read something from the Word of God, the Spirit of God is going to... Uh, uh, confirm that in your mind. He's going to uh, drill that deep into your heart. You're going to go, no, that's wrong. Because this is what the Spirit of God says. And, they, and everybody around you that are not Christ followers, they're going to go, how do you know that's what God said? And you say, because God's Spirit dwells within me and His Spirit is telling me that this is the truth and what you're telling me is a lie. The reason that we need to be watchful isn't just for our own selves and for our families, but it's also for those people who need Christ because they have no, no way to understand and to, to incorporate spiritual truths in their lives because they can't discern them. There's a bigger implication for us in this as well. If you've come to church on a regular basis, and you know what regular attendance in church is now? It's once a month. I'm irregular, I guess. Maybe in more ways than one. I'm here every week. But if you have been coming to church regularly and, and you listen, not to me, because what I have to say really isn't that important. It's what God says. And you'll know it when God's saying it. And you'll know it when it's just me. But if you have a hard time discerning the spiritual truth that God's bringing to you, you should be saying, uh-oh, I'm not sure that that I'm really in tune with what the Spirit is saying. If you're not discerning, if you're not picking up what's, what's being laid down, if the spiritual truths aren't coming to you to where you're going like, God spoke to me today and said, this is what I need to do in my life, you have a big question mark right there that God's saying, you need to check this out because there's something definitely hindering the Spirit's work in our lives. So be watchful. We need to be watchful. You know, um, here's, here's what our culture is doing to us. Our culture wants to tell God 
what to do. Have you noticed that? We are now the ones that are controlling God and we're telling God what to do, how to behave, how to act, what to accept, and what not to accept. And that God, if you don't do it, you're very intolerant. And God says, whoopee. You see, they don't get it. God's always been intolerant. And if you think God is tolerant, you're mistaken. God's always intolerant of sin. Because sin is the roadblock in the relationship that he wants with us. So if somebody says God's intolerant, you go, right on, dude. You got that right. (laughs) Give him a high five. But that's what culture is doing. They are dictating to God what he should think, how he should act, and what he should do. And when, they, and when God doesn't fall in line with, with culture, then God's the idiot because he doesn't know anything because they know everything. But, you know, and, and they'll say that God's even narrow-minded because they want the kingdom to be built by them. But, you know, the really interesting thing is that what Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray, he said, pray for God's kingdom to come and his will... To be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. You want God, you want God to, to bow to your will and to your kingdom? To make it the same on earth as it is on earth? That stinks to join out. What we really want is we want God's kingdom to come. We want His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because you know why? In heaven, it's all about the, God, the holiness of God. Wouldn't you like to just see the holiness of the Holy Spirit descend upon this building in such a manifest way that we are going to go like, I am so undone, like Jeremiah said, I am a man of unclean lips, and we fall face first before God, and we say, do something with my life. Because the holiness of the holy God showed up in our lives, and we were all just like, Like Tyson said at the beginning, it was the fear of God that came upon us, not because we were afraid God was going to slaughter us, but because we recognized the holiness of God and and the unholiness of our own lives. So Paul's admonishing the church for errant beliefs and practices. The central theme of this letter was to drive home the truth that as believers... They are expected to conduct themselves in a way that identifies them with Jesus Christ, not the culture or the beliefs of the culture that were plaguing the society. We have the same issue going on today. The issue that we have today is that because we have a group of people that are on each, each end of the, this country, California, New York, those, those areas, and they, they live in what I call a make-believe world. It's a fantasy world because what do they do? They put together TV programs and movies and they act in them because it is a fantasy world that they're portraying. And the problem is they think that fantasy is reality. But the reality is that none of them are superheroes. None of them really have a voice that's going to change our culture. None of them really can, can be the influence of, of someone uh, of power that's going to influence our country for a hundred years. None of them can do that. They live in make-believe world. And so what they're doing now is they're starting to look at their make-believe world and they're saying it really has no value at all. 
Who can tell me who the, what the number one movie was five years ago? The number one song five years ago. See? We don't even really care. We go, whoop de deal. What's the number one thing that happened in the last, since the creation of the world? Somebody tell me. That's right. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because what did that do? It changed everything. It turned the world on its head. And it's changed everything. And you know how it's changed everything? You know what the evidence of it being changed is? Look around this room. All of you are Christ followers, I'm assuming. Or you're seeking God out. God has spoken to you on some level or another. And you're going like, I'm not satisfied with what I've got. I want more. I've experienced Jesus at least on a small level. And I think there's more for me. And I want more. And so now you're here and you're going like, look what God's doing in my life. Look how He's changing me. And that's the evidence of the most powerful event that ever took place in the history of mankind. And we've been celebrating it for 2,000 years. It turned the world upside down on its head. But these people that live in the fantasy world out in on the coast that think they are really something really are in a sad situation because what they offer is nothing. It's a false well. It's a dry well. And it caves in on itself. But the church has got to be watchful. Because they are trying to press in on us. They're trying to make us change our way of thinking. They're trying to get us to slip back into old sinful habits. And in the Corinthian church, they quickly had fallen away from the original teaching of Jesus. And, and, and they, were, they were accepting a blend of gospel and culture. So Paul, he writes to them. And among the things that the church was struggling with were these things. Divisions among the church. Fractions, different groups within the church. Materialism, greed, lawsuits among fellow believers, marriage issues including fornication and adultery, idolatrous sacrifices, attacks on the spiritual leadership. And even one of the most prominent things that was going on in the first Corinthian church was sexual immorality. And they were going like, it's all good, dude. You can't fight it. Do you know what we? Do you see how many temple prostitutes around running around town? They're everywhere. You can't fight it. So let's just embrace it and hope for the best. And Paul's going, no, that's not what I taught you. That's not what you learned. That's not what I told you to believe. So be watchful. But he also goes on to say to them in thirteen and fourteen: Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. Now, it's, it's interesting. Why, why does Paul say to stand firm in the faith? Because it means where it'll be, we are to be, we are, as we are watchful, our place our, of our faith, it's where we place our faith that is really important. You can't put faith in faith because what does that give you? I don't know. 
It don't give you much. You can't put your faith in your family. You can't put your faith in your spouse. You can't put your faith in your pastor. You can't put your faith in your small group. You can't put your faith on anything that is of material nature in this world because each and every one of those things, as good as they are, and as much as they are a gift from God, at some point or another, they are going to disappoint you highly. You know, here's, here's the problem. Whatever one of those great things that God has given to us, all of a sudden, if we put our faith in it, we have our expectations of that thing that we put our faith in right up here. We are expecting Him to meet our happiness, to make us joyful, to provide all kinds of different stuff for us. And so here's the expectation that we have. And then reality comes in, and it's down here somewhere. And then the reality, and so that difference between reality and expectation, there's a big gap. And so that room right there is the room of disappointment. And, and the bigger that gap is, is the bigger disappointment we have in our life. We have bigger disappointments in our marriage. We have bigger disappointment with our job. We have di- bigger disappointment with the teachers that are teaching our students. We have bigger disappointment with what's going on in our own town. We have bigger disappointment with our church. You have a huge disappointment with your pastor because he's just not cutting it like the guys on television. So there's this disappointment this is going on because we have this expectation, this unreal expectation of what these things are supposed to be. And what Paul is saying is he stands firm in the faith. But what's the faith on? The faith is predicated on the only one who can help us to, to be strong in the Word of God. There's spiritual strength that comes from the one that we put our faith in. There's direction that comes from the one that we put our faith in. We get purpose now from the one that we put our faith in. So we have our faith put in this person named Jesus Christ. And what it does for us is, is it helps us to push on. Even when we are overwhelmed with what's going on in our society, even when our desires that are not godly are pressing in on us and tell us just embrace it and go with it and hope for the best, because of who the one that we put our faith in, we can overcome it. The interesting thing about faith is faith isn't hoping for the best. We often think that. That's right. Faith is knowing the best. And not being satisfied with anything less than that. The author of Hebrews in the 11th chapter said that he defined faith. And I loved it. Now, faith is the assurance. Uh, If you've got your Bibles and you've got that opened up, circle that word. Circle that word. Because assurance says you know absolutely beyond a shadow of doubt. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hope isn't this kind of... uh, um, mushy, gushy, wishing that it's going to turn out. Our hope is placed in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, burial, and resurrection. It's our future hope. Now, faith is the assurance of of things hoped for and the conviction, circle that word, conviction. I absolutely believe this, of things not seen. So what assurance of hope and conviction do I have of things not seen? I haven't seen Jesus face to face. And I'm pretty sure that when I see Jesus face to face, it's going to be all too late for all y'all. Because I ain't coming back. 
I'm going to stick with what I got. It's far better. You're, you're good, but you're not great. Jesus is great. So when I meet him face to face, it's all done down here. But I have never seen Jesus face to face. But my faith is absolutely 100% placed at the foot of the cross of Jesus. It, you can tell me whatever you want to. And, I, and you will never move me off of my faith in Christ. Because it's absolutely assured. And it is absolutely a conviction of my life. I'm assured and convinced that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell in my heart to convict me of sin, to give me understanding, to guide my life, to bring me to a place of desiring greater things of God. I am absolutely assured and convinced of that. Because Jesus said he was going to do it, and what Jesus says, he delivers. So the other thing that we have assurance is is that Jesus who started a good work in us, will bring it to completion. With all the struggles of the flesh, with all the pressures of the world, we can get sucked into sinful behavior. We can get called back into the world. Because it might be acceptable for everybody else, but it's never acceptable for God. So he's calling us back. So Paul offered the Corinthians and us this message of hope. What's the message of hope that he's given to us? Because we struggle daily with the temptations of, uh, uh, of our society around us. We hear it on the news. We see it on TV. We hear it in our music. We, we, we get a, uh, a whiff of it every time we're in town with someone else. It's always there around us, the temptation of it. And that's so Paul gives the hope in chapter 10. He says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Circle that. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. <laughs> God's given me too big of a temptation and I had to give in to it. Bull butter. That ain't true. He, he's never going to give you something that you cannot handle. The problem is, is that we're, we're weak. The problem is, is that we don't think about it. Matter of fact, that's what Paul says as he continues on in this. Is, is that we're not going to, not only are we not going to be tempted beyond what we have the ability to deal with, but with the temptation that comes, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, every time a temptation, no matter what it is, comes your way, there's always an exit door available for you to take. And it isn't a hidden door. It's not a secret door. That door is standing there and it's got a a big old light in it. There's a big sign above it that says exit here. This is the way out. This is the way to righteousness and holiness. And so we come to the place where we're standing and we're either going to follow this path of destruction for our soul or we're going to look over here and we're going to go, that's the exit that God has provided for me. Let me step through it. And when you do, you have strengthened your faith and you have through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit won a victory in your life. Not because of you, but because of what God is doing and providing a way out for you. One of the most incredible things about this letter is the revelations that are provided to us through it regarding the conduct of being a Christ follower. 
It, it includes how to approach and observe communion. You know, I think that sometimes we just take it far too lightly. We, we come to this table and, and it's set before us. We have, have the juice and it represents Christ's blood because that blood really says that, that God has accepted that we're celebrating that because of the blood of Jesus because it's because of the blood of Jesus that we now stand in God's presence as, as righteous. Our position is in Christ, complete holiness. Our reality is that we still screw up. But God doesn't, doesn't look at our screw-ups. He looks through the blood of Christ and declares us righteous. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the, fa- the fact that Jesus was a man. He had flesh. And the bread represents his flesh. And that, that this was not something easy for him to do. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, the Bible tells us. He took whippings and beatings. He had a crown of thorns smashed on his head. When they drove the nails through his hands, it really hurt. It was painful experience. And when he died on the cross, he died in the flesh. He, he did not take the equality of God something that, that was, you know, easy to do. He put all of that aside and he became human being. And the Bible says that he was obedient to God in everything, even the death on a cross. And so as we come to the communion table, let us never take it for granted. Never let us look at it lightly. Let us go, this cost Jesus something greatly that he did for me and I want to embrace it and I don't ever want to come to this this communion table with dirty hands and an unclean spirit. Paul talked about that. Paul gave us clarity on ministries within the church. In-depth instruction for what prophecy looks like in the church. And the appropriate conduct of prophets and their wives. Uh, We're going to get into some more here in a minute. All these things were important to the survival and the growth of the church. And that was one of Paul's deep concerns for the church. Is that the church would never settle for good enough. That the church would never go, ah, it's enough. It's enough. He wants the church to go, it's never enough. I want more. I don't want to go come to the banqueting table of Jesus when, when it's laid out before me and it's laid out before you a lot. And you look at all the things that Jesus has for you that he wants you to step into. He, and, and what we do is we look at the banqueting table and we go like, oh, look, there's some crumbs on the table. And you lay down on the floor and you eat off the crumbs of the table because that is not God's best for you. God has the best for you. He wants you to pull up to the table. He wants you to eat and you'll be satisfied, but you will never be completely satisfied because what that does at the banqueting table is it is so enriching, it is so empowering that you say, I want to go back and I want to eat more. I want to eat more. I want to drink more deeply of it. What? That's what Paul is calling us to. And, and, and what it really is is that in, in the 11th chapter, it speaks volumes about the Corinthians 
and how they were conduct themselves. It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There are a lot of people calling you to imitate them. There are a lot of people saying, look at me, be like me. Remember the old one? Be like Mike. If you've looked at his life now, you're going like, I'm sure glad I didn't become like Mike. He's a mess. Be, follow. You, need, you know, the, the implication here behind this is take a look around you. It comes back to being watchful. Take a look around you and look for people who you know spend time with Jesus. You'll know if they're spending time with Jesus. They have the Jesus glow all over them. When you squeeze them, it's like a lemon. They just, they just spray Jesus out all over you. You get a little squirt of Jesus every time you're around them. And you're like, yeah, I can dig that. And that's what Paul's saying. Find someone who squirts a little Jesus on you every time you walk by them and then start to imitate their life because they are definitely imitating Christ. They're not, they're not going to be a flash in the pan. They're not going to be the kind of person that is, is going to wow you. I, I think of the men that have been in my life that every time I, I talk to them, I'm going like, this guy just stepped out of the throne room of hanging out with Jesus. And I wanted to hang around them. I wanted to hear what they had to say. I wanted to see how they lived. I wanted to experience that for myself in my own life. So find someone that you will imitate as they imitate Christ. That's what it means to stand firm in the faith. The issue that we really face as Christ followers is the centrality of Christ. Jesus has to be at the center of everything. The center of your marriage, the center of your job, the center of your work, the center of your home, the center of your recreation. At the center. That's the issue. Is Christ the center of your life? I'm just going to kind of zip through a couple things, uh, Phoebe, so just get ready because I'm going to skip some of these slides that I have for you up there. Um, go to chapter 2 verses 2 through 5 because this really is the crux of it for us and here's what Paul told the church for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our faith comes from the Spirit of God, it's a demonstration of the Spirit of God and, uh, uh, and of power. And, and it doesn't rest in the intellectual ability of man, but it rests in the power of God. 
it, it's all laid on, the, uh, on, on this foundation that's very important, 311. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Our whole thing, our whole faith is laid on the foundation of Christ. It will never crumble in. It will never break. It is going to endure all the way to the end. I want you to understand this, that 1 Corinthians is a complex conversation that requires more than just simple reading to gain insight and understanding of what Paul is providing to the church as, a, as being consecrated in our conduct. And if we're going to boil this letter into one simple statement, I would put it this way. Obey Christ rather than following cultural customs. Obey Christ rather than following cultural customs. Uh, I, I just want to run through kind of the big points that we hit as we studied this letter because it, it, they're really important. One of the big issues that Paul dealt with was unity among believers. The Corinthian church was divided over leadership. Some of them wanted to follow the teachings of Paul. Some of them wanted to follow the words of Cephas. And, and some preferred what Apollos had to say. It was this whole idea of intellectual pride that was firmly one of the dividing points in the church. And, and Paul basically said that you never focus on the messenger. You focus on the message. And the message always has to be about Christ. We have the problem today. It still exists uh, in, in our community, maybe a little bit more so than ever before. Because of the technology that we have, you can go and you can listen to the greatest orators, the greatest preachers, the most charismatic men in the world. You can pull it up. You can go home right after this and, and find some guy that's going to be wowing thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of people, and you can listen to him, and you're going to be really stirred up because very charismatic and very good at what he does and, and an excellent communicator. Paul says, don't check your brain at the door. Paul's saying, pay attention, be watchful, stand firm in your faith. Whatever he has to say, you need to check against Scripture, which is exactly the same thing you should be doing with me. If I'm not preaching what the Word of God says, you need to come and say like, whoa, dude, you weren't hitting it today. You were talking something other than Jesus. And it was wrong. And so there, there's this whole thing about church dis, uh, about divisions within the church. We want to be united. And the way we're united is around the Spirit of Christ. The second kind of issue that Paul was dealing with was spiritual freedom. There were all kinds of because they stepped into this life in Christ, particularly for women, because what Paul did is he gave them a new perspective on life because they were not even considered in their society. They had no voice. They had no place. They were merely a possession rather than a person. And when they came to Christ, as Paul had said in other letters, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, slave or free. We are all the same at the foot of Christ. In other words, there's equality for everybody. There's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. And so the women are going like, what? We got freedom. 
And so what they started to do is abuse their freedom. There were other people that started to abuse their freedom as well. Because they, and, and it wasn't over things that were really uh, concisely said in the Word of God. You shall not do this and you shall do this. It was kind of a little bit of a gray kind of area. And so they're, they're eating meat and it was causing problems that were sacrificed to items idols and it was causing other people to go back to the to the temples and start worshiping idols again and so in their freedom they were causing people to sin we have freedom but we also have been called to love one another to to show our love and concern for people in such a way that we're looking at it and we're going like I really do have the freedom to do this but I know it is going to be offensive to this brother or sister and so I'm going to forego my freedom Because I love them so much, I'm not going to do this at this point. I'm not going to do this while I am with them. Whatever it is. We can forego that for the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And and that's what we're called to do. But really what our tendency is today when we run into people like that, we say, you just need to grow up. You just need to get over it. You need to suck it up, buttercup. Because I can do whatever I want. Jesus said I can do this. And what we do is we lead them into temptation instead of leading them to the foot of the cross. The second or the kind of the third thing that they had to deal with was holy living. The church had lost its appreciation for the holiness of God, which is our standard for holy living. The church could no longer effectively minister one another or be witness in the community of unbelievers because they were no longer willing to live as holy people with a holy God. They were doing their own thing regardless of a holy God. So that was an issue God, Paul, brought to the church. There was also the church disciplined by ignoring blatant sin among its members. The Corinthian church was further contributing to division and weakness in the, Paul, in the body. Paul gave practical instructions for how to deal with immorality in the church. And it's one of the most difficult areas to deal with in the church. We are to hold each other accountability and our, to our motives, our attitudes, and our, our attitudes and our conduct so that we are, being, so we are being who God has called us to be. The danger is on two fronts. First, the idea is that we, we have to um, have all of our junk together before we can actually go and talk to someone. That's not true. When God lays something on your heart, He's not saying get your life cleaned up before you go and talk to Him. God's calling you to go and talk to Him. And maybe out of that together, you'll both get your stuff together. So that's the first fallacy, is that you have to have it all together. You don't. God's never... God always likes to take the weak things to show His power. And the second is that it's always got to be done in love. Remember, Jesus came full of truth and grace. And so whenever we approach anybody, we always do it in truth and grace. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love and that we are to function in love as we enter into conversations with one another. The whole purpose behind what we do together in the church is about love. It's not about the mushy-gushy love where we're just kind of, you know, not bringing anything of substance. But sometimes when you love somebody enough, you're going to say something that they need to hear that is not pleasant but do it in love. He, and then he talked about proper worship. And what that looks like. We, the question that he kind of brought to us 
is what motivates our worship or our ministry. And the only thing that should motivate it is our love for Christ, a deeper love for Jesus. And the last thing that he did is he said all of this is predicated upon the hope that we have of the resurrection of Jesus. That's the unifying thing. We have the resurrection of Christ. It changed everything. In the world, it changed everything for us. That's where we have our hope. So I want to go back where we started this morning. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. What does that mean to act like men? What it really means is to be be adults. Be spiritually mature. Don't be like a little child who, because you don't get your way or God isn't giving you what you want or somebody else did something else that you throw a, a tantrum and have a fit. Grow up. Act like men and women, not like boys and girls. And then it says to be strong. In other words, when you're facing the difficulties of life, you have the spiritual strength to turn to Jesus and say, I need your help. SOS prayer, help me right now, help me right now. I can't do it. I need your strength. It's not human strength. It's not the strength of will. It's not the strength of intellectual prowess. It's not the strength of what you can do. Your strength is found in the Lord. This Lord is my strong tower. And let everything you do be done in love. So what do we do with these instructions that we've got from 1 Corinthians? I mean, it's only been 43 weeks now that we've talked about it. So what do we do with it? Well, obviously, when Paul taught this, he wasn't just giving words. It's more than just words. It's all about our conduct. These are directives to live a consecrated life before each other and before Christ. So here's our questions for today. Because like I said when we started this, my prayer is, is that the Holy Spirit would start speaking to you, that the Holy Spirit would, would really press in hard on you and, and, and poke you somewhere in your heart on something you need to do. So here's the first question. What is God saying specifically to me? What's the specific thing he is saying to me right now? Question number two, is there any area in my life that God is pointing out to me that needs his work in order for me to move closer to Jesus and my relationship with him? If so, what is it? Question number three, how is what I'm learning useful for the growth of the church and for myself? And finally, as Paul was stating to the Corinthian church, what is driving my conduct, the culture or Christ? What gives you purpose? What gives you influence? What gives you desire? What gives you a hunger? The culture or Christ? All right. The call to us today is the same as it was in Paul's day. Obey Jesus rather than the culture. Obey Christ rather than the culture. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are, on one hand, we're really thankful we're finished with 1 Corinthians. It's been a long haul. It's been tough. And there's been a lot that you have provided for us in it. There's a lot that you have said to our hearts. There is so much 
more than what we could really glean in a short time and get and together in it. And, and my heart's desire today, God, is, is the desire that I believe you have, is that what we have learned will transform uh, the way that we live, that our conduct would change, not because we want accolade from somebody else, not because we want people to notice us, not because we have any other desire than making Jesus preeminent in our lives, that he becomes the central figure of our life. And out of that, it gives us the ability to witness to one another, to, to give testimony of what God's doing. And it also has the ability to call out to the lives of those people who don't know Christ. They see a difference in our lives and they're wondering and they're searching and they want more. They want something that's different and we can point to you, Jesus. Our conduct really matters. Your words are so important to us. Help us to live holy and righteous lives. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to be aware of your voice. Help us to be aware of what you're calling us to do, that we would step out to do it and that we would consecrate ourselves to you every day. We ask these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen.